You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packer Net Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, the results are in, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm so sorry to disappoint, but I decided to do a poll. I told you that I wasn't sure how to handle this because I didn't want to drag out laughing at the enemy for two days because we got other stuff to do, but we got a lot of other teams we could be laughing at. So I left it up to a Twitter poll. 51 to 48, essentially 51 to 49. It's almost like a presidential election. It was right down to the wire here. But 51% did say it's time to move on. And so um, it's tough because I feel like this segment is very divisive. I've gotten so many messages saying that that is their absolute favorite segment. They look forward to it. I just got another person messaging me on Patreon saying that they love that segment. But I also have an uptick in people saying they're really tired of hearing about other teams. Which, again, I'll never understand that sentiment, but there are some people that's just how it is. So, for some people, this show got a million times better because I've added a segment on top of everything else that people like. And for some people, it's just a day where they just skip it. So, I don't know how to reconcile that, but this was like the worst case scenario. As much as it would have, you know, been sad... You know, if everybody was like, oh, this segment stinks, it was funny the first time, but now it's horrible, um, at least it would have been conclusive. Like, well, that sucks, but I guess we're moving on and we won't do that anymore. Or if it would have been like 95%, heck yeah, let's keep it rolling, um, that would have been great. But 50-50, like right down the line, that's that's like the worst case scenario because I can't, <laughs> I can't win. But uh, I will honor everyone's wishes. We will skip it. Um, I mean, listen, if it was... If we hadn't done like Bears, Vikings or whatever, we'd be doing it. But um, it's like Baltimore and everything else. So what we're going to do today is we're going to turn our attention to the Baltimore Ravens. I've been spending the day looking at them, uh, listen to a couple podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, to try to get the, the feel, the vibe, get in the headspace, you know. And so that's what we're going to do today. By the way, as usual, thanks to JJ for keeping me up to date on things, um, that I'm just not paying attention to. Apparently, I know a lot of you listen to this show on Spotify. Even if you don't, if you have Spotify, if you could do me a big favor, Spotify just added, in fact, he just sent this to me. I'm going to do it myself as I explain this to you to make sure it's as easy as it sounds. But if you go to Spotify and type in the search Packers, which is, I mean, you could do Packernet, but I'm still number one on there, at least for me. Maybe I'm not for you. So just maybe type Packernet. But anyways, um, well, never mind. I don't even have the option. For some of you, apparently, you might have the option to leave uh, reviews on there now. Um, It looks like, based on his picture right underneath, uh, the description is a thing that'll have a rating. You can click on that, 
click how many stars you want it to be. If you have that option on Spotify, if you could leave me five stars, that would be fantastic. Um, Spotify is now one of the only places where I'm ranked fairly highly because iTunes is still a complete joke. Unfortunately, that's where 90% of my downloads come from. But anyways, at least Spotify likes me. So if we can keep that rocking, that'd be great. Um, You might not have the option. I don't know if it's an Android thing or I don't know what the deal is. I don't know why updates don't just happen universally, but apparently they don't. But if you have the option, if you could do that, that'd be great. Thanks. But anyways, why don't we dig into this a little bit? Um, It's Thursday. Wednesday for me, which means we have our first injury report. And so uh, let's take a look at that really quickly. Um, There were some conflicting reports about David Bakhtiari. Um, Matt LaFleur initially said he would not practice this week. Within within a matter of a few minutes, David Bakhtiari was seen on the practice field uh, practicing in limited fashion. So um, I don't know his status for game time, but he is a limited participant. I would guess, just because I guess I'm skeptical that he won't play, but that's really not based on anything other than he just hasn't played all year, so I'm, I'm skeptical. Um, Corey Bajorquez has a left knee injury, which is weird. Um, he is a full participant, so he should be fine. Plus, oh no, he's lefty. Never mind. So I don't, I don't know what that means. Dominique Daphne did not participate with an ankle injury. Aaron Jones still has a knee injury, obviously, limited participant. As far as I know, there was nothing, no kind of a setback, so he should be good to go. Um, Aaron Rodgers still has a toe injury. Uh, apparently, Dove Kleiman or Kleeman or whatever his name is has a problem with um, this being disclosed and Aaron Rodgers answering the question when he gets asked about it um, because he's just a complete biased hack. Equinemia St. Brown uh, did not participate due to a concussion issue. Malik Taylor, abdomen issue, limited. Billy Turner, knee injury, did not participate. The latest on Billy Turner is that Matt LaFleur said that he does not believe it is a season-ending injury. He does not know that for sure, but he does believe at this time he'll be back at some point. There's no real reason to believe that um, that isn't true, because if it was a season ending, they would just put him on IR, right? But they're not doing that because they have hope that he will be back. So sort of good news. And then Marquez Valdez-Scantling has a back injury. He was a limited participant for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Baltimore is one of the, if not the most injured teams in football, depending on how you gauge most injured. Um, I don't know how up to date this is, but they were, they were tied with the Giants for most players on IR with 16. Here we go. I found an updated one. The, the Giants, so it used to be Baltimore and the Giants had 16. Now the Giants are up to 21, Baltimore is up to 18. So they have the second most with 18 players on IR. For reference, the Packers have 10 players on IR. Now, obviously, we it's it's I understand that it's the severity of it and all that, but um, still, that's pretty massive. In terms of the amount of cap that's on IR, they have 44 million compared to our 28 million. Um, 24% of their cap is on IR compared to our 15%. So um, total players that are injured, Baltimore 36, Green Bay is 24. So they are fourth as far as injured players with 36. I'm guessing that's IR and then some. The Cleveland Browns have 39, the New York Jets have 37, the Tennessee Titans have 37. So... Suffice it to say, they're pretty banged up, and um, it's a big part of the reason why the team has been flailing quite a bit. Numbers might not have been right, but doesn't matter. It's it's 
they're one of the highest is the, the main crux of this thing. Um, in terms of some of the prominent people that they have on IR, um, one of the podcasts I listened to, they kept hammering the fact that their top two running backs are both on IR, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, both on IR. For a team that loves to run the ball, that obviously is a massive issue. Um, they also have Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters on IR. That's, you know, that's kind of insane. So those are some of the bigger ones. We've also got Derek Wolf on IR, who is a defensive tackle. Not the greatest defensive tackle in the world, but uh, last year he was their DT1 based on total snap counts played. He was, he was the guy that was there the most. But um, I will say that if I'm being completely honest, I don't really buy that the injuries as far as fully explaining what's going on with Baltimore. I'm not saying I figured out what's wrong with Baltimore, but something is wrong with Baltimore beyond the injury. Biggest reason I say that is almost all of the people that they're missing that they could point to to say this is why we're bad have been gone all year. The Baltimore Ravens were 5-1 and one to start the season. They then went on to lose to Cincinnati 41-17. to uh, They barely beat the Vikings in overtime. They lost to Miami 22-10, to which is real bad. Um, they beat the Bears 16-13, to so that's horrific. Uh, they barely beat the Browns 16-10, to and then they lost their last two games, one to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 19-20, um, to and then once to the Cleveland Browns, 22-24. to So clearly the offense has been the biggest issue. I mean, if you look at these last what, five games, 22, 13, 10, 20, and 24. Granted, these are against pretty horrific offenses. Miami, Chicago, Cleveland twice, which again, Cleveland's been having some serious issues, and then Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, these literally the worst quarterbacks in football. Baker, as I said, has been horrific. Ben Roethlisberger is horrific. Justin Fields is a joke, and if it wasn't him, it was Andy Dalton, who's terrible. And then Tua, I think there's been a little progress, but it's been pretty bad. The last time he played a competent quarterback was the Minnesota Vikings, and they gave up 31 points. So I'll, I'll put that there. But again, if you look at J.K. Dobbins, did J.K. Dobbins play the you know until they were 5-1 and one and then sort of fall? No, he's been gone all year. What about Gus Edwards? He's been gone all year. Well, what about Marcus Peters? He's been gone all year. Marlon Humphrey played until week 12 and has been gone. That's true. And if that explains the offensive collapse, then that's fine, but I doubt it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, if we look at the Baltimore Ravens, you can track this out. Um, basically, there is a, you've got through week six when they beat the Chargers, right? That was when they were five and one. After that, there's a drop-off, a very clear drop-off in week seven, nine, and 10. After that, there's an additional drop-off down in weeks 11, 12, 13, and 14. And because it's PFF, we can track which areas they've struggled and fallen off the most. So let's just go through that. First of all, there is a direct correlation between the grades overall and the offensive grades, which is not surprising considering we saw it's easy to point to where the issues were and it was on offense. So for example, if we look at the offense, we can say that there was they were good through week six, which is when they were five and one. Then there was a drop-off, and their drop-off began around week 10, so about one week early, which really just means the defense had a great game against Miami. They still lost, but that, that's the only difference. But the offensive collapse started week 10. So if I can just paint this picture for you, 
The uh, lowest grade they had was week one, 65 overall grade. The grades go 65, 78, 79, 77, 79, 79. Then you got 67, which again, a little bit lower. This is sort of the, the initial drop off. So that's, let me do this again. 65, and then you got the 78, 79, 77, 79, 79. That's five and one, right? Then comes the secondary drop-off, 67, 72, right? It's a little bit lower. We're not in like that high 70 to 80 range, but it's not terrible. It's low 70s, high 60s. Then you get your secondary drop-off, 60, 58, 61, 56, and this last game, 67, which is a little bit of an uptick, but but it's still, it's kind of an uptick back to that secondary level, not your actually good at football level. Okay, so that's the offense. What particularly in the offense has been bad? Well, first of all, if you look at passing, which is real nice because that refers to one person and one person only, and that's Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has had three good games, and they're very good games. Other than that, he's been kind of garbage. Week three against Detroit, he had an 86 overall grade. Week four against Denver, 81. Week five against Indy, 90. Otherwise, it's been 65-58. That was weeks one and two. After those games, 61-59-61, right? So there's that. Then that's right when you get that secondary drop. 51-56, 35-35, and then a little bit of an uptick, 61. So it's not an exact track, but there's it's a similar track. In other words, the offensive grades are different, but as he goes, as Lamar goes down, the rest of the offense goes down. As the rest of the offense goes down, the rest of the team goes down. Is it entirely Lamar? No, it's not. But he is probably the main driving factor in what's causing this regression. Pass blocking has been relatively stable. I mean, it's it's wildly unstable. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. But it's been that way all year. In other words, there's no trend. It's, it's a flat line when you track over a period of, of weeks. 30, 73, 56, 64, 72, 65, 75, 62, 76, 52, 75, 62, 73. You know what I mean? It's just, it's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's consistently unstable, but unstable in a consistent manner. Now, what about receiving grades? This is another one that tracks downward at almost the exact same rate as the offense and as Lamar and as everything else. So you got week one, which is down. Then you go up a little bit, although there's a, again, it's not exactly perfect, but you got your 66 and then you get 72, 69, 78, 75. That's kind of that same range where Lamar is doing well. Then you get your secondary drop, 65, 65, 66, and then you get your all the way drop, 59, 60, 66, 61, 62. Almost all low 60s after the mid 60s, which came after the sort of mid 70s. So again, right around week six in LA. I mean, really it's week seven, but Lamar and the receivers all dropped off around week six. And then that secondary drop came week 10 against Miami. The um, rushing attack has been so wildly inconsistent, it's hard to put your finger on. But it is somewhat similar. Although they had some really bad games, like against Indy, they had a 45 overall, which is their worst game. However, weeks two through six are the only weeks in which they had really good games. Uh, Week two, 77. Week three, 73. And then week six and 85. That's the same window between weeks two and week six. After that, it goes down secondarily, 72, 69, 70. And then against, uh, it would, where is it? This time it's against Chicago. So it's one week later, 51, 60, 69, 66. So again, it's, it's not exact, but there's still a similar regression in that area, right? They have not had any games like they had between the weeks of two and six. Run blocking has also been very similar. Week one was down, 
Then there's a series of good games between two and six. Again, primarily uh, weeks two, three, and six. Then you get your little bit of a drop-off until you get to Miami when you just get 51, 63, 63, 61, and then a slight uptick last week in week 14. It's it's very, very similar across the board, but it's your quarterback, your receivers, your run blocking, and your, your rushing. It's really pretty much everything except pass blocking. Defense has not been that way. It's just kind of been bad all year. Now, they are a top 10 ranked defense. I'm just going based on what PFF is, is doing with their grades. And there's different ways that you can end up with bad overall grades or whatever. So it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, the one thing that has been consistently getting better, and again, I, I've, I've always said there's a high correlation between tackling and being a good defense. Their tackling has massively improved starting right around the time that the offense has fallen off. Otherwise, it's really just wildly inconsistent. It's mostly around the 50 range for the overall defense or 60 range. The only thing noticeable here is the tackling has gone way up. I mean, it was the first four games were 46, 46, 46, 43. Since Minnesota, 76, 74, 71, 78, and then a 46, but then a 63. So it seems like there's maybe an inverse tracking, although defense overall is just kind of all over the place. But if we if we put a little bit of an emphasis on tackling, it's somewhat safe to say that the defense has kind of gotten a little better, but not much. And again, remember, although the defense seems to be improved, they've gone up against some of the worst offenses in football. I mean, they didn't play the Jets, but Miami, Pittsburgh, um, Chicago, I mean, that, that sucks. Cleveland, who again... Didn't used to be terrible, but they're having similar issues to Baltimore where suddenly things are falling apart. So, I mean, and a lot of this is just kind of relearning because it's an uncommon opponent. So we kind of just take what we think we know about Baltimore, right? Well, Lamar's really good. He's got a cannon for an arm, maybe a little bit inconsistent, but we know he can take off and run and he's a really good runner, decent thrower, uh, really good offensive line. They run the ball extremely well. They put a bunch of offensive linemen up there. Lamar can run all over everybody. This is like an old notion, though. We have to do a better job of erasing everything that we think we know and finding out where are they at right now. Stuff changes. But um, one of the things, obviously, that's sort of the elephant in the room I haven't really mentioned yet, um, because we're kind of just taking a really zoomed out look here, is um, Lamar Jackson. He is injured he did not practice on Wednesday, and so although he's struggling, there's clearly a drop-off when your starting quarterback who won MVP a couple years ago is not playing, right? Even in a slump, a guy like that, you know there's a drop-off. So um, that's going to really massively change the dynamic of this, but I primarily, although we're going to look at the other quarterback, want to look at, at Lamar being in the lineup not because I'm necessarily predicting it, but I, I want to look at what the team has been, you know, over the season as well as recently. So yes, I do understand he's injured. I do understand he may not be playing and we are going to look at the other quarterback, but I just want to get a snapshot of where the, the, the Ravens are. And if we have to deduct points because Lamar is not playing, then so be it. So first of all, we kind of did do um, broad strokes looking at how they got to where they are and, and the fact that things haven't been good offensively recently. But it's also been interesting how many close games that they have had. Um, not only that, but the fact that they've been in overtime three times and came out ahead twice. If we look at the games that they've played that are within one score, um, they lost in overtime to the Raiders. So obviously that's one score. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs by one point. They beat the Detroit Lions by only two points, which is terrible. Um, they beat the Broncos pretty handily. They beat the Colts in overtime, so that's one point. 
They annihilated the Chargers, so they've had two pretty good games. They lost to the Bengals, getting blown out 41-17, to so they also lose pretty embarrassing games. Then after their bye, they beat Minnesota in overtime, so there's a field goal win. They lose to Miami by 12, which is embarrassing. They beat Chicago by 3. They beat Cleveland by 6, which is one score. They lost to Pittsburgh by 1, which is one score. And then they lost to Cleveland by 2. So that most of these games have been very, very, very close. I don't think they have a single, like, just 10-point win. They either lose by one score, or they blow out a team, or they get blown out. Now, as far as sort of the correlations go, um, we already mentioned that the offense has been the biggest hindrance. But if we look at this, the team is undefeated when they get to 30 points. That's sort of the first thing. After that, it's very volatile. But the the line at which they just don't lose is 30 points. Now, a couple interesting things about that. First of all, three of those 30-point wins, they almost lost. Two of them were overtime, Indianapolis and Minnesota. And then there's also Kansas City where they won by one point. So even when they get to 30, they were almost 0-3, which is kind of an unfair thing to say. But legitimately, I mean, it could have gone the other way. The other interesting and not great thing for Baltimore is the last time they reached 30 points was October 17th, which was week six. The next game after that, where they got to 27 points, they lost. The only reason I really mention that is because after that, they scored 23 points. So if we're looking at recent history, you've got 23 points. That was October 3rd. And so if we're looking at a recent game, it would be 22 points is the highest they've scored. So that's not a great sign, right? They're four and five when they don't score 30 points, and they have not scored 30 points since week six, and they almost lose those games. Furthermore, if you, and again, that's, that's pretty unrealistic, right? Well, what about on the defensive side? Another completely unrealistic bar is set, and that is below 20. Below 20, they are five and oh. When a team scores, and this is a really, this is a clear sign of a really bad offense. When a team scores 20 or more, not more than 20, just 20 or more, they are three and five when a team reaches 20. So it's, uh, it's not a healthy situation. <laughs> the, the ask for the offense and the defense is pretty unrealistic. The defense is saying, hey, man, you might need to score 30 in order for us to, to lock this thing down. And the offense is like, well, that's a joke because I'm going to need you to keep them under 20. Now, the good news is the defense has actually done this somewhat recently. Um, you know, you've at least got two games in November where they scored 13 and 10. The other really crazy thing, and I guess it's not even that surprising because things are so unbelievably volatile with this team. I mean, there's just, there's no answers here. I mean, you could score 30 and lose. You can score 10 and win. I mean, it's just, it's such a weird team. I'm trying to find correlations anywhere else and I just can't. Because again, it kind of just doesn't matter. They're so up and down. I mean, turnovers are almost a guarantee. Um, if you turn the ball over a lot, you're going to lose. And if you don't, you win. The turnovers for this team... They are actually four and three when they have two or more turnovers. So they, they have a winning record. And the only game when the, where they have more than two turnovers was um, against Cleveland. They had four turnovers and they won the game 16 to 10. They are one and one with no turnovers. So it's, it's 50-50. Defensive turnovers, technically they're undefeated when they have two or more turnovers, but they've only done it twice and they won those games. So it's kind of a little bit of a correlation, I guess, but they're two and two with no turnovers. So it's, again, there's just, there's not a huge amount here, but I I think maybe the biggest thing here is the team is living or dying based on the offense right now, because the only real correlation I can find is um, if you look at the 
offensive expected points compared to defensive expected points. In other words, kind of a, uh, it's a metric expected points added over the course of the game by your offense or your defense. When the Ravens offense is negative, they are one and three. 3.9, which is not very high or higher, they're undefeated. If you look at defense, though, it's really just not that way. I mean, granted, when they when they have really high uh, double digits, they're undefeated, but that's only been happened. That's only happened three times. And the fact of the matter is, their defense has been negative most of the time. Which I wonder if I want to say negative is actually positive for defense, but it doesn't seem that way based on what I'm seeing. But they're five and four with negative defensive performance, and I can tell based on the scores that negative is is bad for the defense as well. So it, it, it kind of looks to me like the expected points are saying the defense has been below average most of the year, but it hasn't necessarily correlated very highly with winning and losing. The offense, though, is where it's at. When the offense performs well, they win. When the offense does not perform well, they don't win, which makes sense because what did we just look at with PFF? There was a clear decline on offense, specifically, you know, you can look at the individual pieces the blocking, the receiving, the quarterback started to decline. And as that happened, they went from a 5-1 and one playoff contender to a team that just is not, is, is, I'm not going to say they're not a contender because they're still in it, but it's certainly not looking promising. So as the offense has gone, the team has gone. Which actually, I've never actually looked at that for the Packers before. Um, so it's kind of interesting. The Green Bay Packers are... Um, winless when the offense is negative, which has only happened twice. Um, Once was the Kansas City Chiefs game where it was surprisingly just barely negative. And then the New Orleans Saints game was negative, almost negative 15, which is brutal. But um, otherwise, it's all been positive. And the only loss came against the Minnesota Vikings. And the reason for that, well, the defensive performance was a negative 25. So really, there were just two of our three losses came when they were just complete implosions right? You've got the negative 14 by the offense and a negative 20 by the defense against the Saints. And then you've got your negative 25 by the defense against Minnesota, which caused that collapse. Otherwise, the offense has been solid all year. The defense been kind of 50-50, I guess. Um, relatively positive games. Pittsburgh, Chicago, which was the most recent Chicago game. The LA Rams and the Seattle Seahawks which is kind of interesting that it was the most recent Chicago game because, again, they scored 30 points, but even the Rams 28. But, you know, anyways, we're not talking about that right now. Interesting for another day. But really bad defensive performances. They have the 49ers, Saints, and Vikings. But actually, why don't we... Well, let's do this real quickly. Um, just kind of looking at overall rankings. And again, this is overall... Um, we'll maybe do a more zoomed-in look at uh, how they've been doing, you know, first half, second half, whatever another day, but just real quick, broad strokes. They have currently the 16th overall offense and the 10th overall defense. Now, again, remember the offense is quite a bit worse than that in the second half. Uh, and we're better than that in the first half. Defensively, they were pretty bad in the, in the first half and have gotten quite better in the second half. In terms of passing and rushing, they are all about, they're all about running. And I mean that offensively and defensively. They are number three in the NFL in rushing attempts, number two defensively in rushing attempts, which means second least amount rushed against. Offensively, they are third in yards with 1,883 yards, number one in yards given up on the ground, only 1,111, 
which makes sense when there's not very many attempts, there's not going to be very many yards. But even still, they're fourth in yards per attempt. So this is a team that is really good at stopping the run. And to be honest, the Packers do struggle with those teams. When we can't get a run game going to complement things, and then we're starting to force passing and all that kind of stuff, it can cause problems. They're also eighth in um, touchdowns allowed. On offense, they're 10th in touchdowns, and they're sixth in yards per attempt. They give up 3.9 yards. They're averaging 4.6 yards per carry. Now, passing is a little bit of a different story. And again, we'll, we'll do a more zoomed-in look uh, second half of the year. But um, they are 14th in passing attempts, so pretty average. 12th in yards, 20th in touchdown, 26th in interceptions with 14, and 19th in net yards per attempt. Defensively is even worse. The passing defense has been problematic. Again, Marcus Peters and, and Marlon Humphrey are out. And especially now that Marlon Humphrey are out, that's going to be pretty brutal. But um, 22nd in attempts, because obviously you're not running against them much, you're throwing against them. 31st, though, in yards. Think about that. Only 22nd in attempts, but 31st in yards, which means people are getting chunks, which is why they're 30th in net yards per attempt. On average, per attempt, teams are gaining seven yards on them. They are 19th in giving up touchdowns and 27th in interceptions. So they're 26th in giveaways, 27th in takeaways. So they, they're struggling with the turnover battle. They give away a heck of a lot more than they than they get back. They they gave away fourteen. They've only got back six, and that that I think is kind of to be expected. Maybe the defensive thing is is kind of up in the air as far as what they were able to do. But we know they're a rushing team, and that's what that's what they are. I think from from our perspective, it's concerning as far as our ability to stop them from running. Either way, I mean, if the if the quarterback is struggling or if Lamar just doesn't play, they're going to lean on the run, which is what they want to do and are going to do anyways. Right, so it, it's not going to hinder them as much as it would a team like, for example, the Packers when Aaron Rodgers goes down because we're not geared to run all the time, or the Chiefs or whatever. You know, it's just they're they're not a run first team. The Baltimore Ravens are. I think from their perspective, though, the thing that's most concerning is they're one of the worst passing defenses in football. And again, maybe not quite as much uh, recently, but they're really bad at it. And you got Aaron Rodgers coming to town. But anyways, uh, why don't we go ahead and take a break right here? We'll come back, we'll kind of go position by position, look at the individual players, where they're at, and then we'll call it a day. If by chance you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I did record a podcast on the way to work today, um, and then because I can't upload directly to Patreon from my phone, I had all day to kind of sit on it and think, do I really want to publish that? And I'm not sure if I do. It's, I mean, it's probably nothing you guys haven't heard before, it's just complaining about people. But I don't know. It's one of those things that's like, I don't know. It's a, it's a little aggressive. It's pretty funny, though. I'll think about it. I haven't posted one in a long time on the uh, the Patreon-only podcast. But anyways, uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we continue, I just want to say I'm about to lose a bet, and I'm very upset that I'm going to lose it. Um, I had bet that um, Urban Meyer would be fired before the season ended. I don't think I'm going to win that bet, but it is a crime against humanity that I'm going to lose this bet. The Jaguars are so ridiculous for not firing this guy. And, you know, it, it honestly, it's very similar to what I said about the Chicago Bears. It's not that it's going to make your team better this year, because who cares about this year? You have, these guys are gone. Urban Meyer's gone. Matt Nagy's gone. These guys are gone. There are a lot of people, however, that are staying. If you don't fire this guy, who the players do not like, and I'm talking about both teams at this point, but Urban obviously to a much greater degree, these players are not going to stand by you. And the next coach is going to have a real hard time getting you to buy in because you're still a part of the Jaguars organization where they don't care about the players. Just saw a report here that Josh Lambeau, who was there for a while, was kind of in a little bit of a slump, said something to the effect of him being one of the more accurate kickers. Uh, What did it say here? The fourth most accurate place kicker in NFL history is Josh Lambeau, but he missed a field goal attempt in each of his first two games, says he wasn't worried about it because he's an accurate guy, he's been there before, whatever. Apparently... Sometime during practice or whatever it was, he's out there stretching. Josh Lambeau is. Urban Meyer comes up, kicks him in the leg, says, hey, dip blank, start making your effing kicks. And then when uh, Josh said, don't ever do that again, he said, I'm the head coach. I'll do that to whoever I please. This is on top of the reports of players storming out of the facility. And I promise this all ties into the Packers. Just give me a minute. I know people freak out when I don't talk about the Packers. But you have players storming off the field, having to, you know, assistant coaches have to go chase the players down and beg them to come back onto the field. You have Meyer apparently in meetings saying, I'm a winner and you're all losers, and then telling them they have to sit here and defend their resume, which is ridiculous considering he hired them. You know, that would have been my answer. As soon as I heard that, I said, that's an easy answer. You know my resume because you hired me, idiot. You know exactly what I bring to the table. And if you don't like what I bring to the table, fire me. Otherwise, get out of my face. It's very simple. You don't think I bring anything to the table, fire me. Don't sit here and try to shame me. Some stupid ego trip. But the point is, the Jaguars, I think, are playing worse than they are because this stuff matters, I think, to a massive degree. And we've kind of touched on it before. You know, the, the Bears are playing worse than they need to. And I think a lot of that goes back to Nagy, not just simple things like play calling. 
right? I think we get too hung up on stuff like play calling because, again, we have a Madden mentality, and it's if you call the right plays, then you you succeed, and if not, there's so much more tied into the practice schedule, but also just the demeanor and the energy and the vibe and all these things that get put out and the relationships and the attitude. These things get toxic fast, and that's why I think it would be wise to fire them immediately and follow that up with a statement that says, I will not tolerate this kind of treatment of staff and players in my facility. I will not try, t- tolerate a person who does these kinds of things. We, we hold a higher standard here. Even if you're lying, you have to do it because all these players, for the most part, are going to still stay here after you fire Urban Meyer. And if you see all these things and you have all these reports and you decide to side with Urban, and that's what you're doing when you don't fire him, when he is subjecting his staff and his players to this kind of treatment, and you force your team to come back and be underneath him and have to subject themselves to him, you're siding with Urban Meyer. That's why you fire a guy midseason. As far as how that ties into the Green Bay Packers, I think we've seen that, for example, with McCarthy, which turned into um, uh, Matt LaFleur. It wasn't just a talent turnover. It, It was the whole locker room change, the whole demeanor. Everybody's having fun again. As far as this season, what does it mean? It, it, you know, I've mentioned that I think Marie Straten should be fired. Well, who are you going to hire? How is that actually going to fix anything? Well, I don't know that you can go out and find somebody that's going to come in and implement some new magical thing. But here's the thing. I don't think you need magic. I think you have guys that are not playing well enough. They're not motivated. They, they don't seem to care. When you have guys like Coach Hahn, and I don't mean that disparagingly, but I mean, that guy will watch for about 10 seconds and just say, well, that wasn't good. What, why is he doing that? They better fix that. He, he, caught, he predicted blocked kicks before they even happened. You've got Pat McAfee. He, when he talked to Aaron Rodgers, go listen to the interview. He talked about how he watched people doing things that don't make any sense. How do they not know what to do? Do they not care? Are they not working hard enough? Are they not interested enough in special teams? Why do they not know what they're doing? It's not just a simple matter of execution. Listen to me. We have almost the exact same players on defense last year as we have this year. Why is our defense so much better? Yes, technically it's execution. Technically they're covering better. Technically they're tackling better. But to pretend that the switch from Mike Pettin to Joe Barry didn't have an impact, and it's not just play calling and scheme. It's execution. It's drive. It's determination. But this switch in, in who is driving the ship matters. And if nothing else... Simply saying we will not tolerate this anymore matters. We have a higher standard here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We have Super Bowl aspirations, and we will not win a Super Bowl with this level of play. That's not going to happen. And so I'm very sorry, Maurice. You're going to be let go. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's trying to think of an analogy that's not quite as dark. Maybe I'll lighten it up by using a, an office analogy. It's the same analogy. It's still dark, but it's, you know, Dwight said it. Dwight talked about how, I think it was World War II, uh, the Japanese, when they would get prisoners of war, they would have somebody would pick somebody out and they would shoot and kill them just to kind of send a message. Like, basically, do not mess with me. And Dwight says something to the effect of, I think I would have been a good person to pick out the right, you know, the, the person that gets killed. We have two options here with special teams. We can either tolerate this level of play or we cannot tolerate this level of play. And you cannot allow Maurice Strayton to keep his job and give lip service to the fact that we will not tolerate this and we demand better. You cannot do both of those two things. You can't. 
Well, how does it fix it? it, it I don't know that it does. But we're, we're allowing poison and toxins to fester. And you can't do that. Same with, same with Mike Pettin, right? It just was not working. I don't know. We didn't, there was no guarantee that if you fire him, that just fixes everything. There's no guarantee if you bring in Joe Barry, that fixes everything. But at the very least, we have a defense that's not performing and they're not doing their job. And you have to, as a head coach, say, I'm not tolerating this anymore. You are not giving me, me the results that I want. And therefore you're fired. Maurice Strayton has the job. I mean, you can put it on the players if you want. His job is to come in and get them ready, get them prepared to do the right things. Whether it's a knowledge thing or an attitude thing, they're not doing it. They either don't know what to do or just not motivated to do it. Both of those things are Maurice's job. Your job is to get these guys prepared and ready and motivated to go out there and play at a high level, and they're not doing it. Anyways, I just saw the... I just saw this article about Urban Meyer, and that kind of set this whole thing off. But maybe we'll maybe we'll save the uh, the deep look at everything else because we're already getting into forty minutes, and that's going to take a long time to go through their whole roster. So sorry, I keep lying to you about what we're doing, but <laughs> it just you know when when things come up, you know sometimes you just well I won't say it, but if you know, you know. It's another office reference. Michael, Michael, Michael. I will add this little, last little tidbit here. This uh, just recently came through. Jason Outen talked to the media. Jason Outen on Josiah DeGuara, quote, he's clicking on all cylinders. He's coming alive in every facet. Been playing the long game with my man Josiah DeGuara. You guys know I've been a huge fan of Josiah. Been a big believer in him. Took some, some slings and arrows over that guy. I kept supporting him, and he kept getting hurt. And then when he did play a little bit, he wasn't obviously massively impactful because he played like one game. So people were kind of giving me side eye about Josiah. But man, he's starting to come alive, and I'm digging it. I'm still confident that uh, this is going to end up being, he's going to be a big factor on this offense, and I'm excited to see it. I didn't sell my stock in Josiah DeGuara yet, and I think it's going to pay off. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow when we will dig in even more on the Baltimore Ravens. I did ask for some questions. I had solicited some questions. I was planning on getting to those as well, but I guess we'll wait until tomorrow. If you have some more questions and you are a patron, you can get in there and ask some Baltimore Ravens specific questions. Otherwise, again, have a good day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.